0: Belonging, we all need it. But when we began stepping out of our physical lives and into the online digital selves we've created, well, everything community became unreal. Or did it? Is online belonging and community a real deal? Fantasy, escape, and the thrill of our heroes slaying or saving the day is nothing new to pop culture. Neither is our adoring favorite celebrity culture. But with the help of the World Wide Web, fandom has become interwoven with community, so much so that it's changed the very definition of it.
1: Some of my closest friends are in VR. Your relations can be more authentic because there's a sense of anonymity that we have, and with that anonymity comes authenticity. We can just be real authentic with each other.
0: Examining your community. Has your own definition and practice of community changed for good? Today on Context. Fandemonium, the allure and obsession of fan and gaming culture making its way right into virtual church. 19 million people tuned in to watch the finale of Game of Thrones. The fantasy series based on the novels by George R.R. R. Martin gripped people around the world, each season gaining in viewership 31 million watching at times. But not all the fans were happy with the final season. They started an online petition, a million and a half people, saying they wanted the final season redone with better writers. Dylan Dee, who has received death threats for his participation in that petition, began it, he would only speak to us by telephone. He explains why he started it.
2: I just, I, f- I feel like Game of Thrones is in its own tier of failure as far as disappointing final seasons or episodes go. You know, people paid for a product. But there are people that buy their HBO subscription just for Game of Thrones.
0: Okay, uh, with us now is Rob Jostra to help us understand what is such a phenomena that a fan would have to hide his identity in disagreeing about the ending of a show. Rob, you're a politics uh, professor at Redeemer University, and you've got a great beat on uh, what's going on in culture. So help me understand the Game of Thrones fan phenomena. What's, What's happening here?
2: I mean, I think uh, in the the first place, part of it is that what's happening with Game of Thrones is a larger sort of cultural shift. Um, People are breaking into really passionate clusters about different pieces of culture. Uh, You see this happening not only socially and politically, but also in entertainment. And in popular culture, Game of Thrones is like one of a lot of sort of dystopian style television and movie shows where people are really attracted to the violence, the apocalypse, uh, uh, the sort of the degradations that are in these series and they're yearning, as it were, and I actually think you hear this in George R. R. Martin's writing for an answer that uh, makes sense or, as is sometimes the case, doesn't make sense of all the stuff they're seeing.
0: All right. So here's the trouble with Game of Thrones is it's so incredibly well done. It's so artistically storyline. It's absolutely amazing. I have to turn it off because it's just bad for my mind and my mm. imagination. It's, it's horrific violence. It's horrific sexual assaults. Mm. And yet it is, we've never had a phenomenon like this, a viewing phenomenon where people uh, want this. Is, is is there something redemptive I'm missing about it? <laughs> like, what's the good side of this?
2: I mean, I think I think what's happening with a show like Game of Thrones, and you see this in other kinds of shows like uh, The Walking Dead, for example. Uh, extre- really extreme violence, really disturbing, really, really. St- hard stuff to watch, and yet what's happening is that it's asking the kinds of questions that people are asking, which is all around them they see in the kind of cable news and the newspapers and on the radio, mm. this kind of punishing violence around the globe. This incredible sense in which is there any meaning behind all of these, uh, uh, all of these difficulties, all of these tragedies, uh, and shows like this tap into that question. Uh, they tap into the question of uh, what does it mean to be people who live in a world where these kinds of things I mean George R. R. Martin asks these kinds of questions in his writing where he says what kind of world would this terrible violence this terrible tragedy be possible in and you can hear him nudging to try to get you to to admit this world that's the world I live in that's the kind of stuff we see
0: how do we make sense of that okay so what's happening to the consumer the fan I shouldn't call him the consumer the fan (laughs) Dylan's gotten himself so out there it's dangerous for him to even show his face what's going on in fan culture about this
2: i mean so i'm a fan uh, i've i've watched uh all of the seasons some of them more than once i've read all of the books uh i'll read the rest of them if they ever come out <laughs> uh, and i think uh not only are we're dealing with something that's really highly produced and so people are really attracted to the kind of artistic achievement yeah. in in music and production and acting and all of these kinds of things uh, but I think they're also uh, attracted to the, the kind of the brutalist honesty, if you were, of the series, uh, where they want, to, uh, they want to explore with the writers, with the actors, uh, is there any meaning behind some of this senselessness? Uh, is there a sense in which there is a broader kind of plot afoot? than just the kind of thing that with the material stuff that we see in the here and now. I think that's actually at the root of the dissatisfaction of this last season, Uh, but in some ways it was a very predictable ending, I think, given what we've seen from the author and the series so far.
0: So there's spiritual themes in this and they're deeply tapping into the psyche.
2: Oh, absolutely. I, I think uh, uh, there's deep spiritual th- uh, themes in this. And I think people uh, are, are struggling with a sense of kind of pain and mystery around how can these things be allowed to happen? How can we live in a world uh, in which these injustices are carried out and in which we see no justice at the end of it?
0: Okay, so this is the dark fantasy. Mm. It's It's blown all kinds of viewing records. Dark fantasy. How does it compare to... Uh, Tolkien, to <laughs> even J.K. Rowling, yeah. to Narnia, to yeah. The line the Witch, the Wardrobe. So this
2: is actually one of the, one of the themes that Alyssa Wilkinson and I, my, my co-author, and I pick up in the book. Um, our question, our puzzle, when we're talking about popular culture is how did we get from the, you know, the bucolic sort of, you know, uh, agricultural community of the Shire to this brutalist, punishing world of Westeros, you know? Uh, and we've done that in a sort of short period of decades. Um, one is a very idealist, world one has you know in Tolkien you have this uh, massive confrontation between the forces of good and the forces of evil uh, and uh, uh, we have these wonderful rich stories about innocence winning out uh, uh, about loyalty being fundamental all of these classic virtues that uh, uh, we not only associate with civilization but with Christianity in Westeros it's, it's almost the reverse innocence is naive kindness is punished. Uh, there's a real politique underlying their kind of understanding of the world where there's this huge shift from the kind of utopian fantasy quest of a hobbit all the way to the kind of will to power uh, uh, of King's Landing. Uh, and that's quite a dramatic shift and that's one of the questions we try to
0: explore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, you used to just watch TV. Now it's become such a very challenging thing in the fandom world. Thank you so much, Professor Robert Joostra from Redeemer University. Thank you for being here with your insights.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So when is being a fan a healthy part of life and when does fandom become an obsession To help answer that, we've got psychotherapist Lisa Bahar. She joins us from California. Uh, Lisa, we've always had these fan clubs, and you you believe part of being a fan community is healthy. Can you explain that?
3: Well, there's a sense of connection with the fan community that uh, provides validation and a sense of belongingness. So it can be actually quite healthy for people to belong to a fandom.
0: Okay, and how is it different now than back in the early days when this was all starting up?
3: Well, the internet and social media and technology have certainly taken fandoms to a whole new level. But keep in mind, fandoms have been a long, around for quite a quite a few quite a long time. Actually, decades they started out with sports.
0: Yeah, decades and, decade, decades and decades, right?
3: Oh yes. Yeah. Yes, decades and decades, absolutely. So they're they're little kingdoms that surround a particular celebrity, usually a celebrity, but they can surround a a sport, a sports team, or uh, you know some sort of icon. But nevertheless, fandoms are definitely developing rapidly and growing in their own unique way. Tell us
0: where the line is when fan culture becomes an unhealthy obsession or even an addiction.
3: Well, what I've noticed is now that fandoms are growing, there is a point where people are becoming increasingly and intensively attached to actually the characters or the the show or the celebrities that they're viewing. And there has been a wave of mental health concerns in this area because people are actually going through levels of grief and uh, levels of severe sometimes sometimes moderate, sometimes pretty severe reactions to these characters and shows when they come to an end or when a character's, um, you know, killed off, for example. So it's it's taking an intensity that's affecting people in a mental health aspect that's causing more and more concern from a therapeutic level, and that's where the work I do comes into play with uh, individuals who are willing to address it and deal with it.
0: Okay, so let's talk about getting the obsessed fan healthy. How does a person keep... Fandom into uh, how do they turn away from the unhealthy parts of it? What do you have to do?
3: Well, number one, you have to be willing and have to be aware. So you might be aware, but not willing. And there's a point where someone has to have a point where there are consequences, and there's natural consequences that might occur uh, as a result of not addressing it. And that might be job loss. It might be severe depression, isolation, alienation, breakdowns in intimacy with people, Um, lack of appetite, oversleeping, watching too much television, binge-watching. So it starts to affect the atypical day-to-day living. And sometimes a loved one plays a role in that, and sometimes it's just the individual who realizes that the consequences are too high. So they might seek out help at that point. So that's the first part, is they have to be aware of it. And sometimes the consequences can be less Severe than what I described. Nevertheless, it requires someone to say, I think I'm going too far with this. It's affecting my life. So that's the first part.
0: Okay, Lisa Bahar, thank you for joining us.
3: My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Lorna.
0: Well, get your VR glasses ready for this next segment. Uh, What you're watching right now is Virtual Reality Church. And it's a new way that church is happening. Pastor Zachary Skaggs joins us now by Skype to explain. Zachary, what exactly is VR Church?
1: Uh, VR Church is a church that is set up entirely in virtual reality. Uh, We use a platform called Altspace VR, that's a social networking platform that uh, is available to VR users. And we meet once a week and we have our church service on Sunday evenings and afternoons if uh, for our European uh, members. Uh, and then during the week, we've got small groups that meet in virtual reality as well. It's It's actually surprisingly similar to what you would think a church would be.
0: Wow, what kinds of people go to VR church? And I don't even know if we should call them people because they're avatars. <laughs> okay, what- They
1: are avatars we have people from all walks of life that come to VR church. One of the things that we've noticed is um, we definitely, there's a lot of people that are interested in virtual reality church who um, feel like they've been, maybe they've been kind of disenfranchised by the church in the past. And this is kind of a, a way for them to come and, hear about jesus and learn about the gospel
0: they do have the ability to create an avatar i want to go to one of your vr parishioners now so for those of you who don't know what an avatar is it's a you'll see one here now avatars actually have real people behind them and they create an identity for themselves here's one such avatar church attending take a listen
2: like i wouldn't Mm. say
1: that i that i'm christian but maybe just like a little christ curious and like, right. I'm just kind of exploring, just exploring faith option and seeing what's, no, what can be in beautiful. store.
0: Okay, that's a little Winnie the Pooh avatar talking to you, the pastor. So does it work? Do you talk to your parishioners like that?
1: Uh, yeah, we do. So that was, uh, they were talking to DJ in that clip, who's the head pastor. Um, and yeah, uh, and the is an things...
0: avatar too, right? The pastor is an he avatar, is. yes.
1: He is, in, in that clip, he actually looks very much like what he does in real life. Um, uh one of the things that we've noticed is when people a lot of churches have said well they're not being real with you because they're they're just their avatar but one of the things that we've noticed is that when people don't necessarily have to show their face they're actually willing to be a lot more open with you and we've had a lot of really deep discussions with people that I don't think that they would have shared some of the things that they shared if they were actually sitting face to face so we found that it's sort of the opposite and people are more willing to open up about their their struggles.
0: And and the average, a a lot of church attenders don't have avatars, so you're getting a whole new audience of people who create them. But let's go to the church sacraments because this has been an online issue that um, baptism sacraments should never be done online. You've taken a lot of notoriety for this. So Drumsie,
2: I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son
1: and of the Holy Spirit. So, Drumsy, rise up again into new life to signify new life for your spiritual walk.
0: That's an online baptism. That's, that's uh, avatar baptism. Does, does that spiritual experience become real for an avatar? Like, like there's a real person behind the avatar. What's happening there? Yeah,
1: so when I first heard, so I, I joined VR Church um, almost a year ago and was totally on board and then i heard that we did these vr baptisms and i was a little bit in the beginning you know well that sounds weird that like that's pushing the envelope Um, but having seen the way that it's done it's very similar to what you would experience in a normal church the only difference is the water right so baptism um, we believe is a outward sign of an inward change right so um, it is a proclamation to your faith community that the old you has died and that the new you has risen. And that is just as possible in virtual reality as it is in the physical world, right? there, We still use in virtual reality water uh, to symbolize that. Uh, it's just not physical water. But I don't think that Uh, I don't think that negates what's happening in the spiritual realm at the same time, just because it's not physical water.
0: So it's real for the for the people participating. Absolutely, they're they're really doing spiritual life, but they're doing it through avatars in online. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Zachary Skaggs, uh, Elder Zachary Skaggs, yeah, Virtual Church. You've given me a lot to think about today. Thanks (laughs) for joining us.
1: No problem. Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: The World Health Organization has recently voted to reclassify video game addiction as a disease. That means doctors will be asking for help with it. Over two billion people play video games worldwide, with 150 million in the United States alone. Gaming is a worldwide phenomena, a hundred billion dollar industry. Gamers are of all ages, with the average gamer being 35 years old. Gaming is gender neutral. of teenage girls play video games, 92% of teenage boys, 23 million Canadians are gamers. Some of those statistics are from a website called gamequitters.com, a place where 75,000 addicted gamers and their loved ones go each month for resources and help. It's a Calgary-based center, and it's where Elaine Yukowski went when she was worried about her son, Jake's addiction. Uh, Elaine, this is an amazing story. Tell me about your son.
4: So my son, uh, Jake, said when he, he says now, when he was in his teens, he was a functioning addict, living in a controlled environment at home. I was unaware. I didn't know what I was looking for. No one was talking about video gaming addiction at that time. And uh, when he went off to university and had all kinds of freedom uh, and felt um, a lot of uh, issues with school and uh, confidence in his um, performance, he turned to more video gaming addiction. And uh, he, he survived first year, um, came home and told us it was a success, and we learned later that it wasn't. Uh, and then in second semester, he didn't register as a student. He missed the cutoff. But he registered to live in uh, residence, moved into residence, and um, pretended to us at home that he was a full-time student. And you got an SOS call. What
0: condition did you find your son in?
4: So it was two months in, uh, and he had been gaming all night, every night, until he'd pass out, and then he would sleep all day. He had very little food, uh, and he'd stop grooming. So by the time I reached him, uh, he's six foot two, he was down to 127 pounds. And he, uh, normally his complexion was clear, it was full of acne, he had visible tremors and facial tics, um, his hair was greasy, he smelled foul. How did
0: you turn it around? Like that is an incredible nightmare. You, you could have lost him. You could have, this, yes. this kills people. Yes.
4: How did you turn it around? I have to say, when I got the email, that was my first thought, was he's alive. Thank goodness he's alive. Um, It took a couple of years because Jake was willing to take help uh, and be rescued from school, and he was willing to get help for anxiety and depression. But it was uh, a number of relapses and two years before he admitted that he has a gaming addiction. But it's
0: 23 months now. Do we say that he's been sober from?
4: Yes. Yes. And
0: you guys speak as mother and son. You are advocates. So give us the warning signs we
4: should be watching out for.
0: So, changes
4: in sleep pattern for starters, uh, children who are um, agitated and having meltdowns and tantrums when you try to take them away from gaming, uh, disinterest in their friends outside of gaming, disinterest in school, some kids are dropping out of school, changes in weight. I want to put up gamequitters.com
0: because it's um, how we reached you, and and it's it's 75,000 people going here every month yep. trying to get help. Um, but let, let's just talk a little bit then about the incredible tension of, they're their young adults, you can't really parent them anymore. How do you, how do you help?
4: How do you intervene? I actually had somebody give me permission to parent. They asked me, well, well didn't you look at his marks after first year? And I said, no, he was 18. And they said, did you help pay? Yes. Is he living under your roof in the summer? Yes. Then you have every right to ask. And so it was at that moment that I decided I better roll up my sleeves and and start parenting again. It didn't matter anymore to Even me. Even though they're old young adults, you parent again. Yes. You put in boundaries. You he put in boundaries. He was on 24/7 watch at first because he was very agitated and very depressed. You know, they they that becomes their social circle, their community online. How do
0: parents and kids get through the tension of the of
4: the of the fight of un? Of, of reducing gaming, and is it cold turkey? It's cold turkey for those who can handle it. For children or young adults who are using gaming to quell anxiety, you pull them off cold turkey, it's it's similar to taking them off an anti-anxiety med cold turkey. They are going to be agitated. Some kids become violent, some kids become um, despondent, some are suicidal. The argument that
0: always comes back and you'll hear it on the show today too is there's great community that builds with people. It is the only place they find community. What right. do you do to replace that?
4: So for Jake, uh, first of all we had to get him the dopamine replacement so I took him to the gym Medication. with me. No, we didn't do meds. We, we did diet change. I took him to my fitness classes, got him exercising. Uh, he went a lot of walks. I took him, I mean, I just took him everywhere with me so he could be around people. And then when he went back to university, we really encouraged him to join clubs. And that's how he found his community again.
0: Elaine, uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, being involved in gaming addiction. Thank you for your story, for Jake's story.
4: Thank Thanks you. for having me.
0: Well, we've heard about the dangers of gaming addiction and mental health, but can gaming also be a place where people find help and spiritual health? Chusin Yao has been a gaming pastor, a passion that he's got four or five hours a day, helping people with games and building relationships. So Chusen, thank you for being with us. Help me understand how health, mental health is actually built in gaming life.
5: Yeah, so just even in when the context of it's all fun in games when you go into a game, life is still going to catch up to you as you are still behind a screen. Reality is still all around you. The time that you spent in the game does not take away from what you did in real life. And people have come to these games hoping to either escape that or to, to let their day be vented or released. But then a lot of people, as I've found, they talk to me about of just like, how they're doing mentally and even just physically. There are those that will... Okay, can we just stop there for a minute? How do
0: they talk to you? Oh. Show us what that screen, what's okay. going on here.
5: Oh, so the screen. So the the screen that uh, as I'm part of the games and just, it, that's just me being part of the games, playing with them, playing with people, even giving my own commentary about the game. And then as people create that trust bond with me and that they know that I'm this type of player, we're having fun together. And then as it comes to those times, not only getting to know me as a player, but even as a person, they see me having fun. They see me sharing about, you know, oh my goodness, I did this. And it could be with that person themselves. And after that bond is made either off screen or on, on, off in between games, they start to ask me, all right, so what else do you do? I've talked about how I'm a Christian, how I'm part of the prayer lines here in Crossroads. Or even just of why I like or want to be, you know, sharing my faith, even though there are not many Christians out there. And then it's come to those points where they 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 ask me about like, you know, about their themselves, their child, their even just something that they've been dealing, with, or why they could be angry about God. There's been a whole bunch of things that and, happened and, only because of the game.
0: And 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 are those conversations like? Are you on a phone? Sorry, I don't. I don't do this. So, is is how how do you have those conversations? (laughs)
5: So those can be either done through just you know, if you have a mic, then you talk through a an online call. Um, That can be right there on the screen that we shared. Um, That's just me talking, and then you can see the chat uh, that is above my head, and that's people literally typing to me about you know, what could be on their mind or just whatever in the game, and that's another way. Or it's just them messaging me through um, the the usernames and the profiles that we have. And so how that varies.
0: how do you weave in when someone is you, when 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 there's no, a, a not a good thing going on? The gaming is addictive for them.
5: So that's when I give them more of a, a personal time. I wouldn't, you know, be talking about those things when we're when I'm live or when I'm playing with a whole bunch of others. That's been time that I've set aside for the person, because not only did I find in discernment that they need they need in that time just of event they needed a moment to just go, I need to talk to someone. I need to I need to I need help. And so that's when it's after after our day's done, I give them the time to talk, and then they'll have their questions just between us about w- what they need to tell me. And wow. it's been a lot of them. <laughs>
0: and uh, and so bringing your faith into this world, how? why did you think this mattered to God, that he enters the gaming
5: community? So, I mean, you can look at the numbers objectively. There's just my generation, the younger generations. Um, they're just, they're, this is one of their easiest avenues to get into. Um, but also just the number, the sheer numbers that it's worldwide. There are so many people that are playing games either on your phone or even on a device, all these different things that will connect you. Even if you're not part of the gaming, you've heard of it at least, and it's even just something to watch. I play those games, the one you saw me on the screen, people will watch me. They just watch me even if they don't play the game. And not only that, but Christian voices or a Christian perspective is not present, I find, in that area. In the gaming world. Yes. And very so. much so and that's why i find especially so not even just on my own faith but even just you know representing i mean even just simple stuff like people will use jesus christ as an expletive or in, in his name either because they know or not but as they just they just are angry and are venting and they use his name as such and then i usually follow up that sent or that that statement of thing oh he's a cool guy you know it's just those small little little fun quirks or even another one is just an, a way to show off or to show off your attitude or um, that you've done something to be proud of would say, oh, I'm a God. And I would say, I disagree. <laughs> like those, those small little things, or even some people say, after I pull off a, an amazing play, they go, oh, you're a God at this. And I'm like, hmm, I've, I've got one I follow, I'm not. All right, <laughs> Jusen,
0: thank you so much for sharing with us and uh, for all of us at Context, as you enjoy your online world, your fandom culture, uh, thanks for thinking about the spiritual connections that are pulling at your heart as you get involved with fantasy worlds, with gaming life, and uh, there's a lot more to learn about what's really inside your longings. So thanks so much for joining all of us. Take care.